You are welcome to a great moment in destiny. God is about to speak directly to you and the message coming right up is crafted by heaven not just to challenge you but to align your destiny. As you embrace divine instruction, expect that God's word is bringing about revival, healing, restoration and transformation to your entire life. With faith in your heart and great expectation, join me and receive God's word through his choice vessel. Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be with you. We thank you for these five years of grace and mercy. We thank you for the celebration of this work. Just thank you for everything that you are doing and everything that you will do. Thank you for a new anointing that resides upon this church. Thank you for a new season. Thank you for divine enlargement increase even beyond the expectation of that which has been established. I ask you, mighty Holy Spirit, this morning that you will minister to our heart. You will speak a word, something that will linger on for a long period of time that will assist us to be able to walk into every season that you bring into our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Be exalted. Be lifted. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. Again, thank you, Apostle. You know, every time I look at you, and see the grace upon you is just amazing where the Holy Spirit intend to take this work to. And I'm glad to be part of you and part of what God is doing. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to close what I began in the first session, when I started my session with you. And to those of you that have been with us, especially being in my session, I began talking to you about the mysteries of revival. That there are mysteries of revival and the applications of these mysteries so that we can be able to function in the true spirit of revival. Now, if you were with us, I explained what mysteries are. It's not really a big deal. These are secrets or these are keys or principles that are made available so that you and I can be able to activate the things that the Spirit of the Lord ordained us to. So I laid up some things. I established some things. In the first session, I talked to you about the seasons of revival that God provides seasons for everything that takes place in our life. There is never a thing God does for you in absence of season. So if he's going to heal you or deliver you, the first thing that the Spirit of God does is to bring a season into your life. So there is a season of revival. Now we define seasons as simply a pocket of time that the Holy Spirit introduces into our lives to accomplish an agenda. There is a difference between a season and a timing. But one of the things that we said is that there must be a marriage 
between seasons and timing for manifestation to become a reality. Meaning that you will never be able to see a manifestation unless a season and a timing is directly connected together. We also talked about that in the kingdom of God and in the dimension of living, there are only two types of season. There is the season of prosperity, the seasons of abundance, the seasons of blessings, the seasons where God or Jesus sits on your boat and he begins to bless you. But there is also the season of barrenness, the season of unfruitfulness, the seasons when Jesus isn't sitting on your boat. But it doesn't matter what seasons that you experience. You have to understand that in spite of the season, God is still with you. In the second session, we talked about the conditions of revival and the catalyst or the steps to experiencing revival. Revival doesn't just show up if you don't meet certain conditions. When you meet those conditions, then there are steps that you must embrace for revival to become a reality. In our third sessions, we began to talk about the warfare that is involved in the spirit of revival. That every revival that takes place, that there is a warfare that you experience. And part of our successes and victory in warfare has to do with being able to know your enemy. We look at John 10.10, 10, one of the scriptures that is so significant. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this, that the thief, speaking of the enemy, he comes to steal, he comes to kill, and then he comes to do what? To destroy. Now, one of the things that I explained to you, which is key, and I pray by the Spirit of God, that you keep that revelation and insight in your heart. Because the way the scripture has been interpreted over a prolonged period of time, it has been interpreted as if the enemy actually comes to just kill you or to just destroy your life. But in the Greek, it explains what it means. When the enemy comes to steal from you, he's coming to clip to you. To clip to simply means a degree of sophistication and an expertise at which the enemy comes to pick your pocket. It is a language in the Greek which represents someone picking your pocket without you knowing. The enemy does this through two ways. Number one, he injects a negative thought in your mind. Once a negative thought is injected, all of a sudden, your joy, your peace, and everything else that has the potential to affect your emotion is taken. Number two, it injects a negative belief system in your mind. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so he is. The choices and the decisions and the responses that you make in life is really based on the way you think. The Bible then says that when the enemy cannot steal from you, then he has to endeavor to do what? To kill you. The word to kill is the Greek word tuo. And tuo simply means that the enemy comes in to convince you to surrender that which is dear to your heart. 
He can't steal from you. So what does he have to do? He has to convince you now to surrender the very thing that was significant to you. There are four ways that the enemy does it. Number one, he does it through stress. So when you experience stress in your life over a prolonged period of time, you get to the point where you say, I don't want to do this anymore. You end up throwing in the towel and you let the enemy become successful. Number two, the enemy steals it through frustration. Have you ever been frustrated about something and you say to yourself, I don't want to do this anymore. This is something that God gave to you. Something that is in the will of God. And yet out of frustration, you want to let it go. That's the enemy trying to tool you or trying to convince you to let go that which God has given to you. The third, if he can't steal, if he cannot kill, then he has to destroy you. And that word in the Greek is the word opolomi. Opolomi simply means that the enemy makes that which is in your possession to become unattractive to you. Now, I said all of this to lay a foundation on what I want to deal with. Okay? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the focus is on verse 18. I want to talk to you on how to sustain relevancy when a season of revival is over. When a season of revival is over, how do you sustain relevancy? Now, one of the things that you have to understand is seasons come in our lives and seasons live in your life. Seasons are pockets of time. So when a season comes in our life, it is a time of rejoicing. It is a time of blessing. All of a sudden, doors are open for you. The rain falls in your life. Impossibilities begins to take place. But what you have to understand, just like a wave that we experience or a visitation that we experience, it comes and it eventually leaves. The mistake that most leaders or most churches make is that they never expect that when a revival shows up, that the revival will eventually leave. And so what, tend, what they tend to do is to sometimes mimic a revival and to sometimes create something that is no more in existence when a revival or a move of God is gone. The question is, how do I sustain that relevance? That the church can still be relevant. The leader can still be relevant. That the things that you experience when the revival is going on is still relevant. Have you ever been in an atmosphere where the move of God is so prevalent? And the church becomes famous. And everybody flocked to that church. And the leadership, because it's the agent of revival, the leader becomes so famous. Every conference in town, he or she is invited. His face is all over the billboard. When he sneezes, everything and everyone catches cold. And at those moments of your life, you never believe that the move of God will come to an end. You never believe that the season will be over. 
until one day you find out that the revival or the season of God that you once experienced is not as it used to be. But what you have to understand is you can still be relevant when the season is over. If you don't understand the principles for it, you will not be relevant. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, a very simple scripture, that everyone, perhaps know, God's intention is to take you from glory to glory. That's his intention. So when the revival comes, there is a glory level that is established, and the revival is gone. You have to prepare for the next glory level that the Spirit of the Lord intends to bring in. There are several keys that makes it possible for any church, any leader to be able to sustain relevance. Now, this is what relevance means. To be relevant actually means to be appropriate. To be appropriate within a season. To be relevant also means to fit in. That means to fit in within a new season. So when an old season is gone and a new season comes in, a relevant church or a relevant leader can still fit in into what the spirit of the Lord is doing and is saying. You are not outdated. You are still in. Number three, it means to be in sync. You are in sync with what is happening. Sometimes it can be depressing to leaders or to churches who once experienced revival and became the attention of the land and all of a sudden no one pays attention to you like they supposed to pay attention to you and at this point if you are not careful you can begin to fake things and create things just to make sure that you enjoy the attention or the notoriety or perhaps the fame that you used to enjoy but this is the good news the good news is when the season is over there is another season that is coming and because there is another season coming you can still be relevant until the next season appears i want to give you a couple of principles and a couple of keys that enables you to be relevant or to sustain your relevancy when revival leaves. Are you ready? Number one, the first key, very significant. Every time you find a church or an individual that have experienced revival that remains relevant, it is because of this key. The first key and the important key and principle is the willingness to embrace the spirit of transition. The willingness to embrace the spirit of transition. You will never be able to sustain relevancy if you are not willing to embrace transitional times. There are moments of transition that the spirit of the Lord brings into our lives. He brings it into the life of a church, into the life of an individual. And the struggle most times is that believers find it hard to embrace transitional moments. Because we are creatures of comfort. 
When we experience something good, something great, something powerful, we want it to remain like that. But in the kingdom of God, progression is the secret to advancement. Every progression in your life brings a degree of advancement to you. So if you want to sustain relevance, you must embrace this spirit of transition. Now, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, very key, the nature of working with God. If you're going to work with him and relate with the Lord, it is often the nature of making constant adjustment. There is never a believer that works with God and advances in him that doesn't make a constant adjustment or go through transition at times. In Malachi 3.6, the Bible says, I am the Lord, I what? I change not. Now, when you read that verse of scripture, the Bible is talking about God's character and God's personality. He doesn't change in his character. 50 years to come, he will still be Jehovah Rapha. He will still be Jehovah Shammah. He will still be Jehovah Jireh. He doesn't change in his character or in his personality. But God changes in his direction and his instruction. He changes in his strategy. So the way God does a thing yesterday may not be the way he wants to do it today. And if you are an individual that doesn't embrace transition, you will find it hard sustaining every season that lives your life. Because working with God demands that we experience this in our life. I don't like transition. I don't know of people who really love transition. Because transition most times comes with stress. It comes with difficulty. Whether you are moving from one apartment to another, or you're moving from one state to another, or you're moving from being a single person to a married person. It doesn't matter what form of transition. There will always be an element of sacrifice and inconvenience. And the reason we go through that is because we are creatures of comfort. I want to remain like I am. I want the move to continue. I want the revival to be for life. But the way the kingdom is designed, seasons come and seasons go. Visitations come and visitations leave. So I have to work with God, not being flat-footed. But I have to work with him on my toes, knowing at every given time that he may give me a directive. He may change the agenda. He may lead me somewhere else. And as long as I'm sensitive in my spirit concerning the leading and the direction of God, I will always be successful in the things of the spirit. Now, there are three key things that happens in transition. Three key things. But before we look at the three key things, you have to understand that if you are going to follow Jesus Christ, and if you are going to walk in a stronger realm of anointing, this transitional spirit has to be a part of you. And sometimes when the spirit of the Lord brings transition in your life, you may not know why, but he knows why. He knows why because he wants to bring you to a place of purpose. Look for a moment, Genesis chapter 12. 
in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. This is the transitional speech that was given to Abraham, who eventually became Abraham and eventually made it possible for you and I to move in the dimensions that we move. Look at what he says. Now the Lord has said unto Abraham, remember he was speaking to Abraham, get thee out of three areas. There are three places that you are to come out from. The interesting thing is, these are very familiar places. These are places you've been addicted to. You are used to these places. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord wants you to make a transition. Number one, make it bigger, please. He said, get thee out of your country. Do you know the big deal about that? To move from your country to somewhere that you've never been takes a lot of stress in you. I remember I've been in the United States now going to almost 38, 39 years. Just to make that adjustment alone is very stressful. And in addition, I am married to an American, so I have to make that adjustment too. It is a transition. So God speaks to Abraham, get out of thy country and from thy kindred and where? And from their father's house. Where do I need to go? Unto a land that I will show thee. Now, I didn't tell you what the land looked like right now, but as you get out and make the transition, I'm going to show you, he said, all of these three areas are so significant. They aren't areas that is just easy to disconnect from. That is why transition is important, but transition can be uncomfortable. Look for a moment, go to verse 2. Verse 2. The Bible says, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now, this is what I will do, but the condition for doing this is you're going to have to make a transition. If you don't make the transition, you're not going to experience this. So this is what I will do for you. Verse 3. Verse 3. Go to verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee. And I will curse him that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. It is conditional. It is based on the first verse. When you make this transition, I will do this for you. You know, I always think this. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. The man Abraham was called from the heart of the Chaldees. And this is the present Iraqi, where Iraqi is. Why is it that God never went to America and picked an American? Or went to Europe and picked a European? Or South America and picked a Spanish person? Or some areas of the world? But for some reason, he shows this man. He shows him he wasn't born again. He, was, he wasn't born again, don't know Christ himself. But the degree of his obedience and his willingness to be able to teach his seed and his generation about God became the foundation of his righteousness. Go to verse 3. Verse 3 again of the same scripture. Enlarge it, please. And, and then, okay, shall be blessed. Go to verse 4. Verse 4. Verse 4. So Abram departed, meaning that Abram obeyed God. He departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, 
And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Iran. Now turn to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Focus. Ruth chapter 1. Focus on verse 16. With Abram, there were three transitions that he had to make. Now, with Ruth, there were four transitions that she had to make. Ruth chapter 1. From uh, Ruth chapter 1 verse 16. Ruth 1 verse 16. And Ruth said, now let me lay the background because you have to understand. Naomi and Ahimelech were the two sons were living in Bethlehem of Judah. Bethlehem of Judah, that word Bethlehem of Judah means the house of bread. There was a famine in Bethlehem of Judah. Instead of Ahimelech, the authority over the household, instead of him praying and seeking the mind of God over the direction to take, he made a quick decision, mortgaged the property, and decided to take all of his family from Bethlehem of Judah, not to a closed city, but outside the nation of Israel, to a nation that God already spoken to them, not, be, not to be connected to, called Moab. They got to Moab, right there in Moab. Now the sons got married. Eventually the two sons died. Elimelech, the authority, the husband, died while in Moab. One of the daughter-in-law decided to disconnect. And the only one that remains uh, is Ruth. Now, Ruth remained not just because he did not or she did not know the circumstances. If there should be anyone that was bitter, it shouldn't be Naomi. It should be Ruth herself. Because not only did she lose her husband, she has to actually disconnect from the things that were significant to her to move somewhere else. But this is the statement that she made. And the statement is a picture of transition. It is those transitional moments without you realizing what the Spirit of God is going to do in your life in the future that you just obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, can you put it on the screen? And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. Now notice, for whether thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Now when we read scriptures like this, it is so interesting that we just read it as scriptures. But we fail to understand how really difficult this transition is. Because here you find an individual, a Moabite, someone with a different culture, is willing to adjust to another culture. Someone with a different religion is willing to adjust to another religion. Someone that was uh, used to serving Shemosh, the Moabite God, now has to serve Jehovah God. She had to make transition and adjustment in order to get to the place where God intended for her to get to. You know the story of Ruth. That the result of the story of Ruth became the foundation of the one that we have embraced as our Lord and as our Savior. But can you imagine if Ruth never made that transition? If she never adjusted Transition is difficult. 
But transition is possible and it is blissful. So what is transition? What do we mean by transition itself? Now transition is simply a movement that takes place. It is a movement. It is a change. It is an adjustment. A movement, a change, an adjustment, a development, an evolution from one stage, one place to another. So when there is revival, we get excited. We are happy. We rejoice. And then all of a sudden, revival comes to an end. I want to remain relevant. I want to be able to sustain that which God had begun and be able to take it to the next season. So what do I do? I permit and allow the Holy Spirit to work on my behalf to change me, to create a shift or to adjust me so that I can be able to become the picture that he calls me to be. Now three things happens in transition. A season of transition entails three things. Number one, a season of transition is a time where you experience sudden and significant change. And some of this change aren't exciting. Some of the change may involve your finances. Some of the change may involve your lifestyle. But they come a sudden and a significant change. It just, it hits you out. New friends are created. New places are had. You know, almost if you are not ready for transition, it can actually get you to become depressed. You can become discouraged because of the sudden and significant change that takes place. Especially personality-wise, choleric, sanguine, melancholy, phlegmatic, they are part of our personality that likes things to remain the same. Number two, it is a time where new things, new things, new things are happening, whether they are spiritual, whether they are natural, whether they are mental, whether they are emotional. New things are taking place. Not everyone can handle the new things that are taking place because we want to master the things that happens in our lives. And if I can't master it, then it must be controlling me. Are you listening to me, church? Because as you pray for revival, and as revival comes and shows up as the seasons of God, our restoration comes, there are going to be moments where that which God just did is over. And as a church, you have to know how do we sustain this? It is not just a principle for revival. It is a principle that governs every other aspect of our lives. The principle of being able to sustain something that God does for you so that on an ongoing basis, you can still experience some level of the degree of the anointing that you need to experience. Number three, now these changes in transition can either be by choice or it can be by circumstances. It can be by either your choice or by circumstances. Also, it can actually be by the enemy. 
The enemy can actually play a role in it. Our God. So you play a role. Circumstances play a role. The enemy play a role. God plays a role in it. The question is, what happens when I refuse to make transition? What happens when a church in the midst of a revival and you enjoying the revival and the breakout and the attention and the notoriety and the greatness, the fairness, whatever it is that comes, what happens when you refuse to make an adjustment or to make transition? Look with me to Jeremiah chapter 48. The book of Jeremiah chapter 48. Now, Jeremiah chapter 48, from verse 11 to verse 13, is a very significant verse that deals with transition, okay? Anytime you meet a man or a woman, a leader who does not want to transition in the seasons that God is demanding transition, you can easily be able to test them. You can smell them and you can taste them. Now, you can smell them meaning their character and their lifestyle. You can taste them meaning the way they talk. It becomes evidence that they are not willing to embrace transition itself. And their taste and their smell is often the taste of flesh. It is that taste of, I want to do things the way I want to do it. But when you are open to transition, God is always in the business of taking you more further and more further and more further. Look at verse 11, make it bigger. Now, Moab, it can be you, it can be a church, it can be a leader. Moab, Moab had been at ease from his youth and he had not settled on his lease and had not been emptied from vessel to vessel. That's the problem of brother Moab, sister Moab, or Moab Christian center. Okay? He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither had he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remains in him. It remains the same. The way he talks, out of the abundance of the what? The, heart, the mouth speaks. There is a degree of pollution in brother Moab because he has not been turned or emptied from bottle to bottle, meaning he had not gone through transition. His taste remained in him and his scent or his smell is not changed. Now go to the next verse, verse 12. Therefore, be all the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send unto him, who? To Moab. I will send unto Moab wanderers. Another translation will say, the tilters. They shall cause him to wander and shall empty his vessel and break their bottles. In other words, Moab doesn't want to make transition. That's fine. But I'm going to permit circumstances that will come in into his life, into the life of the church, that will compel them to make a transition. 
This is what Jeremiah is saying. The prophet Jeremiah is using natural things in the winery industry to actually teach us prophetically of how transition takes place. The way new wine is created, it takes a process. You gather the grapes together and then you squeeze that grape. And when you squeeze the grape in a container, there are three things that are evidence. There is the skin, there is the stern, and there is the liquid from the grape. When you look at everything, it's still cloudy. When you smell it, it is horrible. When you taste it, it is horrible. So something has to happen. The production goes this way. You have to now pour it into another container. When you pour it in a container, all of the skin and all of whatever sediments that is still there, they all come below and they rest down. And then the wine itself becomes a little clearer. You have to pour it again into another bottle. The process itself continues. It is the process of transition. The more you pour it in, the more the wine becomes more purer. It becomes more clearer. His taste becomes more better itself. The problem with Moab is he has not gone through transition. He doesn't want to experience transition. He has been at ease, at ease from his youth. Since the last time there was a revival, that was where he was still in. And God says, oh no, I'm going to bring transition into your life. To work with God, to experience a new move, and to move in a dimension in the realm of the spirit, we have to constantly, on a consistent basis, make transition. You know, for this church, you begin, there are people that begins with you. And at some point, the spirit of the Lord began or begins to create a transition. There are messages that you may be used to preaching. And the spirit of the Lord brings transition to your messages. And before you know, from glory to glory, you move in. And you find yourself, you've been poured from bottle to bottle. And from bottle to bottle. And each bottle that you are poured in, you taste more better. You have a greater revelation, more insight. Your wisdom level grows. You come into another dimension that you've not been. And it was as a result of the transition that you made. The problem with Moab is he doesn't want to be poured from bottle to bottle. So this is what God says. He said, Moab, this is you. I'm going to allow and permit the tilter of the jar to come. You really don't want the tilter to come. It is much better for you to respond to God when God speaks to you. But majority of the time, the only moment we respond to God is when we experience the tilter. So here is Moab tied up. And every time God says, you got to be poured from bottle to bottle. And Moab says no. And one day, God permits that tilter. And the neck of the bottle gets what? It gets broken. And now Moab has to be poured. Moab has to be poured 
not voluntarily, but involuntarily. The problem with it is this. The way God trains you and imparts us is not on result. The way he trains us and imparts us is based on the journey. So Moab doesn't have the privilege to enjoy the process or the journey of what the Holy Spirit to us today intend to do. And all Moab sin is the result itself. But when I permit the Holy Spirit to walk in me and I go through transition, I'm actually receiving the benefit and the blessing of the journey before I get to the result. Are you listening to me? So when a season of revival is over, one of the most significant keys that is needed to sustain your relevancy, to be able to fit in into the next season, to be in sync with whatever season God brings in, is to make sure that you embrace transitional times and transitional moments. You don't know where it's taking you, but I just trust the Lord that when the season is over, he's going to lead us in a different direction. And we will honor him and we will obey him and respond to that direction. The biggest mistake you can make is to be in where God used to be. And then want to experience the strength of God. It is impossible, beloved. If you are not moving, God is still moving. And if you are not moving, that means you are still addicted to the place where there was once a move. The power of God was there, but it's no more there. Not because God doesn't want to do what he did. He in his character remains the same. But in his strategies and in his move and in his instruction, he is always moving. You know the story of Abraham, every time I read it, it's really a lesson to me. It is a lesson that, that the Spirit of God impressed in my heart to train me on hearing and perfecting the voice of God, Apostle. In Genesis chapter 22, there was the voice of instruction. The instruction was for him to take his only son and to offer him as a sacrifice. If Abraham only mastered the voice of instruction and never understood the voice of adjustment or the voice of impartation, Abraham will end up blaming God and saying, I killed my son because God told me to kill my son. But when you study the progression, we live by the preceding word. We don't live by the word of yesterday. We live by the preceding word. What God is saying right now. And if God is saying right now, what he's saying right now supersedes what he said yesterday. Are you listening to me? Abraham took that boy, brought the boy to, to just kill his son. I could, I could just imagine the boy said, I love daddy. I love my dad. I love him because he knows how to hear the voice of God. To stretch out there and the knife and knowing that he has the potential to kill him. And at that moment, he heard the voice of adjustment. He said, oh no, don't kill him. But if you perfect the voice of adjustment, you still have to be able to perfect the voice of impartation. It is the voice of blessing. Now I know 
Now I know it is that time that you can rejoice over the voice of God that is spoken over your life. It enables you to be able to master what God is saying. Number two, let's rush quickly. Number two, the second principle and keys, very significant, is the principle of the power of relationship. The power of relationship. To sustain relevance, you have to, you have to, you must build, you must maintain, and you must invest in relationship. If you don't do that, if you don't build, if you don't know how to maintain, if you don't know how to invest in relationship, when a season in your life is over, you will not be able to sustain relevance. You won't fit in, you won't be in sync, you will not be appropriate in that season because it takes relationship when your season is over and somebody else's season is entered to be able to undergird you and cause you to be relevant until God visits you again. In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus sat on the boat of Peter and Jesus created an explosion of blessing, the blessing was so much enough that Peter was able to beckon the partners that were in the other boat to come in and to assist him. You see, Peter was doing that because Peter realized there's going to come a season when Jesus will step out of my boat and he's going to go to the next boat. And when he gets to the next boat, I have created enough relationship that I can be able to get sustained even when I don't have any invitation, I got 20 friends that I can still preach for. When I lack finances, I got 60 relationships that can be a blessing to me. You must build relationship. You must maintain relationship. You must invest in relationship. Relationships are adventures. And there are systems of leverage during seasons when revival or the visitations of God is gone. Think about it this way. Every time God wants to bless you, what does he do? He gives you a person. When you receive a prophetic word that you're going to be a multimillionaire or whatever it is, the first reaction we do is to get excited, roll on the floor, we cry, and because we're expecting that God is going to do it. God never brings a million dollars and puts it in your hand. I'm not saying his sovereignty cannot do that. But when you go through scripture, every time he blesses you, he sends you a person. That person becomes a carrier of the very thing that was prophesied to you. How you treat them, how you relate to them, how you are willing to unlock whatever is in them becomes what helps you in the season when God decides to help you. People of God, hear me. Most believers, especially leaders, they don't know the value of relationship. This is a dynamic years ago that the Spirit of the Lord taught me. He said, I'm going to make you successful. But you're going to have to value the people that are put in your life. See, the people that are put in your life becomes your strength. It becomes your strength. It becomes people that assist you. And so when you value relationship itself, 
all of a sudden God takes advantage of it. Now, each month, when my bill, my cell uh, bill, when it comes, you don't want to know the amount. Because at every moment, every week, I'm always in touch with relationship all over the world. He could tell you, I'm checking. Sometimes if I don't get a call back, I got to call back again. I check those in Australia, South America, Africa, this area. See, you got to manage relationship. You got to maintain relationship. You are much closer to a miracle with the relationships that you have in your life. And you are less closer to a miracle with the absence of the relationship that you have in your life. Now look at the scripture. Go to Judges chapter 18. If you could do this real quickly for me. Judges chapter 18, verse 27 to verse 28. I want you to put it in the Amplified Classic translation. Judges chapter 18, verse 27 to verse 28. Now, I want you to see. And they took the things which Micah had made. He's speaking about a small tribe. The tribe of Laish. This tribe of Laish, kind of a small tribe, they felt very secure. They felt like they have everything. So, and they took the things which Micah had made and his priests and came to Laish to a people quiet and feeling secure and they smote them with the sword and burned the city. Go to the next verse. The next verse, verse 28. And there was no deliverer. Why? Because it was far from Sidon and they had no business with anyone. They didn't make relationship. They did not make any relation. Nations understand this. You touch Israel, you touch America automatically. Because these are relationships. And nations understand that their strength and power is not just based on their own personal military might. It is based on the degree of what? The relationships that you build. Relationship can take you far than money can take you. Are you listening to me? I said relationship can take you far than money can take you. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts 14 verse 18 to verse 21. Acts 14 verse 18 to verse 21. Even in the light of this word, there were difficulties prevented the people from offering sacrifice to them. Go to the next. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul threw him out of the city supposing that he's dead. Isn't that true? Now go to the next verse. How beat as the disciples. That's why you got to have the Amplified Translation. If you don't have the Amplified Translation, you're not going to heaven. 
If you really want to go to heaven, you just get the Amplified Translation. My God Almighty. You read in the King James, I build do I who shame you. Like you speaking in tongues. Come on, go back again. Go back again. Put go back again. Let me read it so that everybody can go to heaven. Yeah, come on. Go back again. Verse 18. Okay? But some Jews arrived there. Okay. Even, even in the light of this world, there were difficulty prevented the people from offering sacrifice to them. You sure this is the amplifier? Okay. <laughs> okay, go to the next. But some Jews arrived there from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the people and won them over, they stoned Paul and afterward they dragged him out of the town thinking that he was dead. Uh-huh. That is key to understand. When the enemy attacks you, beloved, he comes against you, whether mental, emotional, or bodily, his intention is to make sure that you are totally gone. Okay? Go to the next verse. The next verse. But the disciples, what did they do? They formed a what? I can't even hear you. Are you eating this morning? They formed a circle. Their relationship in Paul's life formed a circle about him. And he what? He got up, went back into the town, and on the morrow, he went on with what? Barnabas to do what? To watch TV? No! To preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. He got attacked. They thought he was dead. And all of a sudden, the relationship that was in his life, you better have relationship. Because when the enemy attacks you, his intention is to destroy you. You need people that praise for you and intercede on your behalf and believe in your potential to get you up when the enemy lay you flat. Are you still breathing? There are three types of relationships. Three types that you will encounter. The first type of relationship is called the door relationship. D-O-O-H-A-R-O. The door people or the door relationship. These are relationships and people that create opportunities and access for you. They are relationships that comes into your life. It is designed for them to create access. They open doors. They pronounce your name. They speak about you. They play a role in your advancement. You have to be able to spot the relationships that comes into your life. The second are the window people, like a window, a window relationship. And these are relationships of people that helps to bring the revelation of your future and destiny into reality. You know exactly that something is in your heart, but you don't know how to release it. You don't know how to put it together. And God brings a window person into your life and your job is to assist you to bring that thing that you couldn't see into realization. I challenge you people of God that you will make a commitment to embrace relationship. When they come into your life, you have a responsibility to work a relationship. 
Relationship don't grow on its own. It doesn't develop on its own. It is what you invest in it that makes it possible for it to grow. It is the value that you place on a relationship that makes the relationship stronger. If you don't place a value on it, the relationship will be every kind of relationship. If you touch the relationship in my life, I will touch you. It's just simple. The relationship in my life means a great deal. I'm someone that don't like to just embrace any and every relationship. When, because of the gifting and the ability to be able to spot the intentions in people's heart, it makes me easily back off. And so, when I meet individuals, even though they're talking, I'm not hearing what they're saying. I'm sensing their heart. It is the state and the condition of their heart that reveals to me if this relationship is actually a relationship that I need to be connected to. And once I make a connection, I like to showcase them. I want them to be recognized just as I'm recognized. I want them to accept. So whatever I possess automatically becomes theirs. That is the degree of a relationship. The third kind is the kind you don't want into your life. These are the world people, W-A-L-L. -L. These are world relationships. These relationships are designed by the enemy. At the immediate, you don't easily recognize that they are designed by the enemy. But once you become used to it, and you become addicted to them, you will find that every progress you tend to make doesn't go too far. Because these are world relationships. But how do I detect them? It comes through prayer. It comes through a degree of discernment. You cannot be so hungry for relationship to pick a world person into your life. You want to make sure that those that comes into your life are relationships that you can be able to invest in, maintain, cultivate, and be a blessing to you just as they are a blessing to me. Now, notice now how I sustain relevance. Number one, it comes through transition. How I sustain relevance, number two, comes through the relationships in my life. There are nations I go to. Sometimes each year, I have to reject places to go and speak. And I get convicted in my heart because everyone at some point wants you to come to them. So at the beginning of each year, I make sure that the places that I have relationship with takes precedence. And every other place becomes secondary. So if the spots are filled up, then I have to be able to use my assistant to be the one that speaks on my behalf. And well, it can come to you this year because of blah, blah, blah. To pick up the phone and tell someone, I'm sorry, I can't come. But you told me last year, you told me two years ago, you told me three years ago that, uh, you know, when you get a spot and that itself makes me feel bad. Number three, the third one is what I consider the most significant. This is built over a prolonged period of time. The third key to sustaining relevance is the power of spiritual sons. The power of spiritual sons. 
When we talk about sons, we're not talking about the male gender. We're talking about both male and female. This is so significant if you want to sustain relevancy. Raising spiritual sons must be intentional in your heart. It must be intentional to raise spiritual sons. To become a mentor over prodigies should be a big deal to you. Because one of the major keys and secrets to be relevant in seasons after seasons is the ability to have sons in position that you have raised that becomes a bridge for you in the next phase of destiny. This truth has not caught fire much in the church. I pray that the power of sonship can really, really become a revelation and an insight because God values this principle. Most leaders and believers live for themselves and not for the future. When you live for yourself, you will not think of raising spiritual sons. When I began ministry, I used to preach four services. I would preach this, then I would preach that, and I would preach that, and I would preach that. And after ministering on a Sunday for two to three days, I have to stay in bed. Now, you may, you may think, well, you're doing a good job. Until the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. If you keep doing what you're doing like this, you are going to hurt yourself. And we're talking about uh, the early the early 80s. And we began immediately to focus on this principle of raising spiritual sons. It is said in the prophetic circle and apostolic circle that at the age of 36 going to 40, every leader ought to begin to prepare to walk away, not walking away, but to take a different position because they have raised healthy spiritual sons that have certain qualities. Number one, they committed to the vision. Number two, they are sacrificial to the vision. Number three, they are loyal to the vision. And you can be able to go to bed with your eyes closed knowing that they have the potential to take what God has established to the next level and perhaps to a much better level. If John Austin was alive today, he would be so proud of Joel Austin. I remember long time ago in the early 80s when Brother John Austin just had a storefront uh, uh, church. And I had the opportunity then to go and to minister. And Joel, I mean Joel was like a kid, but Joel was handling the camera itself. But he never thought he was going to get the mantle. He never thought he was going to be great. He was just functioning as a cameraman or, or, or a media person. And he loved it until when the father passed away and the mantle came upon him. And the church went... <laughs> just like that. I mean, you can be critical of this, critical of that, critical of that. Whatever you want to be critical about the next generation took it to the next level. That is sonship. 
And sonship is significant. Look at 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 1 to verse 6. 2 Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, by a whirlwind, Elijah, Elijah and Elisha were going from Giga. Notice the story of Elijah and Elijah is a story that really draws out a principle of how prodigies or spiritual sons are raised or ought to be connected to spiritual fathers. Elisha was given the privilege to disconnect in four cities. Gigal, Bethel, Jericho, Jordan. And all Elisha did is, I ain't going anywhere. Say, I don't really trust you because you could slip through the door. I'm going to hang around you. Well, just hold on. I'm going to the bathroom. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to just stand at the door there because I, I don't know if you are just going to walk away. Now, what is it that made him to operate like that? Because he valued what Elijah carried. And when they got to Jordan, and Elijah turned around and looked at Elisha. He asked him one of the most famous questions. Now just think about it for just a moment. You've been with me all these years. The people that are with me that walked away. For some reason you are with me. Why are you with me? Why are you connected to me? Why do you remain? Well, I could just imagine I'm improvising. Elisha would say, I just want you to know, Apostle, it's not because I admire your white beard. It's not because I love you, but it looks great. Your shoes are fine, everything. But there is a grace you carry. A grace that is so evidential that I want a double portion of it. I don't want a single portion. I mean, that's a greedy son. And that's a greedy son in a good way. I want a double portion. And Elijah said, you have asked a hard Thing. He didn't say it is impossible. He said it is a hard thing. Because for you to be entitled to it, there are processes that you have to go through. And Elijah announced the process. He says, if you see me leave, that's when you will be entitled to it. I want you to catch something here. According to the Jewish custom, it is only a son that is entitled to the inheritance. A servant is not entitled to it. When you study the scripture, the relationship between Elisha and Elijah, as at this point, was a servant and a master relationship. So he calls him my master, and this is my servant. He's, he's not entitled to it. So Elijah said, you're going to have to see me leave. For you to be entitled. That word in the original meaning means you're going to have to see eye to eye. Wait me for you to become entitled to what I carry. It is easy to see eye to eye with me if I'm only saying the things that you like. It is easy to see eye to eye with me when I don't correct you, when I don't step on your corns and bonions, when I don't rebuke you. It is easy to see eye to eye with me. But when I begin to correct you, adjust you, rebuke you, can you still be able to see eye to eye with me? 
But you guys are mighty quiet. Are you breathing? Are you alive? You got to see high to high. Because there's going to be some moment I'm going to correct you. I'm going to adjust you. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter your position in the corporate world. It doesn't matter who you are. You said you want the double portion. For you to be entitled to the double portion, we got to see eye to eye. And Elisha did not disconnect. He stayed. But he stayed as a servant. But you, when you study the scripture, when it was time for Elijah to leave, what did the Bible say? Elijah cried a famous statement. He said what? My father, my father, you are the chariots of Israel. From that moment, there was a transition or a transformation from being a servant to becoming what? A son. And he became entitled to the double portion. The double portion or the grace upon an apostolic or a prophetic or a pastoral or a leader's life is for those who sees I to hide with him. It's for the sons. See, when you have a son in place, I'm not talking about biological sons. When you have a spiritual son, sometimes a biological son could take a mantle. Sometimes they're not called to the mantle. It may be a spiritual son. When you have a spiritual son in place, you don't freak out. See, I travel the world. And as I travel the world, I've never taught twice. Not twice. That's a, oh, how will the church be? How will the, no, 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 no. Because spiritual sons, they became part of the apostolic team. These are reliable people and dependable people that you can be able to put a grace on to carry the work on your behalf itself. If you want to sustain relevancy, if you want to fit in into the next generation, if you want to be in sync when a season over your life is over, you should make sure that you've raised spiritual sons. There are many individuals when the leader dies, the church is gone. Just like that. Because they aren't relevant. You raise members, but you didn't raise sons. The Bible says that the government is upon the shoulders of who? Sons. That's what Isaiah 9 says. A child is born, but a son is what? Is given. A son isn't born, is given. It is the working of the Holy Spirit to give you a son. He takes a wife. Jesus has seven disciples. He prayed all night to get 12 of them and one of them was Judas himself. It blows my mind that God will allow Judas to be part of the team. But the reality is Judas wasn't designed to betray Jesus. 
Judas just had a defective heart at a moment and the enemy takes advantage of him to operate and to do what he did. A son isn't born. He's given. If you take a man that God has never given to you, you will have problem. That was the problem David had with the sons of Jehoram, Joab, Abishah, and Asahel. And Joab was one of David's greatest problems because David picked a man that looks good, looks great, has an ability, but he wasn't given to him. Karateke. Mujokite. This is my last session. So you could be quiet. It is important. You don't pick men. Because of the way they look. He has to give him to you. Kaishe kubre bezudanda. He has to give you. That means they have to be birthed in the spirit realm. Sometimes you can see a potential in someone that nobody sees a potential in. Nobody sees the potential in them. But you see a potential. David did not look like a king. He didn't talk like a king. But yet God's hand rests upon him. See, you the man. Well, but I've been here for five years. He just came for a year. I've been here for four years. He's just been here for six months. God does not promote based on tenure. That's not the way he does it. This is a dynamic of the spirit. If you are going to sustain relevance, it is important that you invest in sons. Show them the secrets. I love when my sons travel with me. I love men who ask questions. Sometimes there is a movement of the spirit and after they ask me, now dad, tell me this. How, how was this? And how did you do this? And all of that. And then in that privacy, I begin to share a dimension with them. Once a month, they have a founder's class in my Bible college that they bring me in as the founder to teach. So it doesn't matter where I am. I come in and just teach for that, you know, one time. And begin to bring experience to sons and daughters from everywhere that comes in. The way God chooses is not the way man chooses itself. Remember these three principles. When a revival is over, because it will, when a season is gone, your ability to be sustained has to do with your willingness, number one, to embrace transitional times. You got to shift now. You got to move. Well, I don't feel like moving, but you still got to move because it's transition. Number two, 
you got to build, you got to maintain, and you got to invest in relationships. A few years ago, I was in Singapore ministry. I was invited by a different speaker. I got to the hotel, and those of you, if you've ever flew the Asia area, it is one of those long flights. And the interesting thing is, I miss home a lot. I miss my wife a lot. As much as I travel, I never want her to know. I guess if she's watching, she probably will know. So I'm not the kind that comes in and that just stays. I'm going to be here for two weeks. Because I got to be in another city, in another nation. So I flew in on the day I was to minister. I never made that mistake again. I went to my hotel room. My sons was with me. And I was preparing. And I got a message. And they said, there is a pastor that wants to see you. I said, what's the name? They called the name. I said, I don't know the pastor. I'm not coming I came for this man and the other individuals that I go to are these individuals. He sat there. They kept bugging me and kept bugging me and kept bugging me until I came down from my room and the truth is I didn't come down with a smile. Okay? I was kind of really frustrated because yeah, I was taken from something I was doing. And the moment I sat down there this Chinese doctor, who is a pastor, with a smile all over his face. He said, oh, Dr. Ted Sola, I'm so glad to meet you. And he came with an envelope. He says, you don't know me, but I know you. Your light has been feeding my light. For these countless years, and I heard that you were in town and I actually find a way to find out your hotel and I made a decision that I was going to come to personally be a blessing to you. When I heard the word blessing, the smile came on my face. <laughs> I wasn't depressed anymore. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a card. Just a little card. And in the card was a powerful statement. And everywhere I go to preach, that little card will stay in my Bible. I kept that relationship the moment and before I step anywhere not a big deal to anybody but a big deal to me I would take that little card and I would just read it that became a relationship but he never knew the value of it that that two statement was a great source of encouragement 
that he just built my inside and sustained me in all of Asia that I could go into an Asia country with relationship here and relationship there and relationship there it makes what you carry to remain relevant I want to pray for you now this is not just a principle for revival. It is a principle that affects every single areas of your life. Any kind of sustenance that you receive will come from these sources in your life. Will you lift up your hands? There is nobody else here but just you and the mighty Holy Spirit. Nobody else here. And if you are a son why not stay in expectancy? I want to be a son. Because a child is only born, but a son is given. And is given by God. And that's why the government can be placed on their shoulder. Because they weren't taken, they were given. So when they feel the pressure and the load, they don't quit. They don't disconnect they don't jump ship and the leadership don't freak out or panic because the leader understand it was God that gave him or her to me. And the God that did it is the God that will take care of them. Close your eyes. Lift up your hands. I want you to worship him. It's simple. Just, just worship him. Just begin to thank him and worship him from the depth of your diaphragm. And my wonderful sister, if she's here, take a microphone. And just begin to worship him. That the grace of God that you will experience in your life will not depart from you. It will not be something that you are disconnected for. But instead, it will be something that will remain relevant. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Open your mouth. Thank you, Lord. Just, just worship him. Worship him. Just worship him. Just worship him. Thank you, Lord. Just press him. Press him, press him, press him. I want you to press him. This is the last session. And there is an oil. There is an oil. There is an oil that is released. There is an oil that is released. Press it. Just press it. Just press it. Thank you, mighty Holy Spirit. My shaky degree Barande kusule. Guys came on decree the gate. Marande Kesine de Tuganga. 
chest, everyone. I want you to believe for a miracle. To each person, the miracles may be different. Your needs may be different. But there is an oil here to minister to your needs. There is an oil to minister to your needs. If you have a back pain, just begin to move your back because there is an oil that is touching your back, especially the lower part of your back. In the name of Jesus. If you have a palpitation, your heart beats real fast. The hand of the Lord is touching your heart right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every single individual that have heard the sound of your voice, including those that are watching this broadcast wherever they are. Every need that is represented in this place, I lift them, every need, and I present them to you for the exchange of a miracle, of healing, of deliverance of breakthrough I prophesy this in the name of Jesus I take authority and dominion over every power that have held you bound that spirit of barrenness that generational cause that 
attack against your mind and your emotion that spirit of fear I rebuke it in the name of Jesus I break the enemy's power in Jesus name I release you from every hold every grip of the enemy in Jesus name I command freedom to come to you in the name of Jesus you have come into a season of laughter you will rejoice you will experience a dimension of the life of God that you've never experienced before in Jesus name come and lift up those hands thank you for listening to this message we hope you were blessed by it to get a copy of this message please call or text 0805 223-4444 or send an email to info at rogic.org that is info at rhogic dot org You can also download the Horn of Revival Ministry app on Google Play or Apple Store to connect with a variety of free quality resources including Rogic Radio and our refreshing daily devotions to take you higher in life. And for real-time ministry, you can follow or like our Facebook page, Revival House of Glory International Church and Horn of Revival Ministry. You could also subscribe to our YouTube page at Rogic TV and at Apostle Goodheart to watch messages from the Horn of Revival Ministry. God bless you.